First of all, let me say a welcome to all of our guests since I kind of jumped in and stole some of the announcements. I'm sure that got missed in the mix. If you're a first-time guest or even a return guest with us, we are so happy that you're here. Welcome. Thank you for choosing to come here. In fact, if you came and then come back, well, you knew what you were getting into when you came back. So doubly thank you for coming back. It's one thing to come the first time. It's another thing to know what you're getting into when you come back. So thank you. And uh, my wife and I would love to join you in the reception room. Uh, it's the room with the gaping hole. That will be fixed this week. But you can't miss it. And uh, we'd love to spend a little bit of time uh, fellowshipping with you, get to know you, greet you. And uh, if you have time, please give us a little bit of time there, and we will give you some time as well. We're also very excited. Several baptisms are already scheduled for this morning, and we're excited about that. Amen. Anytime somebody goes down in the lovely name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the removal of their sins, it's a good day. It's a good day. We're excited about that. Well, this is also has come over the last few years. You know, my children are very impudent. Did you know that? Children are not impressed by their parents. You know, I, I, I kind of think I'm an intelligent fella. I'm, I'm fairly well educated. I'm trying to do a good job at my, at my profession. I seem to be doing okay. You all keep coming back and you're not like exiting the doors and, and all this. But my kids last night, their, their comments were, were, I'm not sure what they were, but you know, Oh, tomorrow's Vision Sunday. Wonder what Dad's going to cast Vision for this year. And it just, it just smacked of impudence. So I'm feeling a little unnerved, actually, to be honest with you. But I'm going to give my best attempt at what I feel the Lord in my spirit leading us, and particularly given the strong emphasis that we gave to this past year of just simply... Stop. Now, some of the staff have given me a hard time about if this is stop, what's go? <laughs> well, welcome to my world, because that was stop. So the year of the Sabbath is over. And I have a feeling from informal conversations and also within the spirit that some of you had never done that before in your life. You'd never slowed enough. You'd never set aside all of the busyness. And you may have found yourself disturbed. You may have found yourself staring into things or into things about yourself or about your life that were unsettling. Because Sabbath does that. Sabbath causes you in the cessation of your work, in the pause of your work, in the rest of stopping. It allows things to come to the surface that the busyness of life just pushes down. So again, I return to the question, so the year of the Sabbath is over, what now? Now, you as an individual, you're going to have to answer that question between you and Jesus. If you think I am coming to answer you about all of that, you got another thing coming. That's above my pay grade. You have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you lack wisdom, ask and he'll give it to you. 
So individually, I would encourage you that as you enter into this year, that you would be very intentional in saying, God, so the year of the Sabbath is over. What now? And I think for each of us as individuals, it's different. The answer of God to each of us is going to be particularized and contextualized to what you are facing within your life. And if you're new with us, please do not feel left out. The year of the Sabbath was simply us implementing what God did in Genesis chapter 2, in which he completed his work on six days, and on the seventh he ceased. That's all it says. He just stopped. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, and that word to cease is the word Shabbat. God simply stopped. God has given us, in fact, Jesus had conflict with the Pharisees about this because they weighed all these rules. And Jesus says, wait a minute, I created Sabbath for the human. I didn't create the human for the Sabbath. He's given us permission to work hard and then stop. He's given us permission to build a cycle of life, a rhythm of life that involves work, but it also involves rest. And so even if you weren't with us this past year, as you're going to hear this morning, I'm going to challenge you that at least, at the very least, we should be living now a work life that's different than we lived before the year of the Sabbath. You now know what it means to stop. You may not have done it extremely well. You may have struggled with it. In fact, I would argue that the reason that God gifted us with Sabbath is because it's a gift that never ceases giving. It challenges us. As life circumstances change, we have to adjust. But the bottom line is, is you need to live your lives intentionally. You need to live your lives on a daily and a weekly and a monthly and a yearly basis with intent. And that intent gives you the space to work hard. It gives you the space to laugh and to play. It gives you the space to do life, your life. God gave you choice. But in that mix, every day, every month, every year, there needs to be periods of rest. Those periods of rest do not come unless you stop. You're waiting for more. No, I wanted to illustrate stop. That uncomfortable silence, that absence of anything, yes, that's stop. That lack of control, that's stop. That unnerving silence, that's stop. Because in the midst of the stopping, you'll find your master. In the midst of the silence, you'll hear his still small voice. In the midst of the cessation of busyness, yea, even busyness for the kingdom, you'll find your master. And the last time I checked, that's what God's trying to get us back to in the first place. When we read of the garden, what do we find? A man, a woman, provided for, 
walking with God in the cool of the evening. Not building skyscrapers, not conquering the world, being with their God. Being with their God. But corporately. So the year of the Sabbath is over. What now? What's this look like? I'd like to begin by reading you a chapter. It's from the Gospel of Luke. It's chapter number 15. Maybe you can roll with me. I'm just going to read and try to stay up with me. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. (gasps) Even eating with them. So, as was Jesus' habit, he told them a story. When Jesus tells you a story, buckle up. He tells them a story. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Now, you and I sitting here today, we would go, uh, because we don't have sheep. Not a single one of us, to my knowledge, has ever had sheep. I've never even picked up cons, let alone have sheep. But the audience that Jesus is speaking to immediately knows the answer. Jesus has already punched them in the face with his first question. A man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost. What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, here's the theological punch, here's the point of the lesson. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, in case you missed the point of this, Jesus just smacked the Pharisees twice. First of all, he said, the sinner that you just were critical of is more important than you are. (laughs) And second, God's not as impressed with the fact that you've stayed righteous and haven't strayed. You're impressed with yourself, but God's not. It's like a double slap. And these boys aren't used to being slapped around at all. Definitely not by a Galilean who looks like a carpenter. They don't know that he's the son of God. Jesus talked like he's the son of God, but he don't look like the son of God. There's days you aren't into me, and when the anointing's on me, I'll talk in a way that I don't look. And if your spirit isn't in link with the spirit of God, you're going to look at me and go, where do you get off talking like that? You can imagine what Jesus faced. There's an authority that rests upon him. There's an authority that rests in him. He is none other than the Almighty incarnate. you got to understand, his home is, is heaven. His normal seat is not a barco lounger, and it's certainly not the hillside. It's a throne. His 
as I like to say, guess you're going to have to get the context for this later. His butt does fit that throne. So you got to understand how he talks. He's not talking in a way that they're used to. To illustrate the point further, as if it needs more further illustration, Jesus. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. He says a man had, excuse me, I skipped one. Back up, back up, back up. He says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Anybody ever lost a coin? We do it in the couch all the time, don't we? If you ever pick up a used couch on the side of the road, what do you do? I don't know what I do, but I turn it over and I shake it. I want to see what's going to fall out of it. If you're going to give away a couch, what do you do? Usually turn it over and shake it to see whether you lost anything in it. All right, they didn't have couches back then, but a woman has lost, has 10 silver coins. She loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And then, as if that wasn't enough, to further illustrate, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate, and I want it now, before you die. This father must have been different than my father. I'm just imagining how this conversation would go. If I walked into my parents' apartment at the retirement community and said, Pop, you're close enough. Some of you are imagining it with me. It wouldn't go very well, would it? Deafness would overtake you. Yeah, I th- actually, I don't even think deafness would overtake you. I think I'd get a... And then my mom would be right behind going, boom! Okay, so we've read this story too often. We've gotten too used to the dynamics of it. This guy was impudent. I mean, way beyond my children's impudence of, oh, dad's casting vision today. No, he's like off the chain. I want my money. Well, first of all, dude, it's not your money. It's not your money. First of all, it's not even your money when your parents do die. That's up to them to decide whether it's your money. But even if you know that they're going to leave it to you, it's not your money till they die. That's the point. (sighs) So he has two sons. The younger son tells his father, I want my share now before you die. So his father agrees. And he divides his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of that inheritance in wild living. About the same time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. So he persuaded the local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. Now, here's where we miss the point here, too, because I like me some good pork. (laughs) 
This is being told to Jews. And Jews do not like pork. In fact, the Middle East tends to not like pork. There's not pigs around. They like sheep. They don't like pork. So you can imagine a collective, ooh. It's like being told that his farmer has a bunch of outhouses and he sent him to dredge the outhouses. Now you feel what you're feeling now? You feel that cringe like, oh, oh. And I'm not even a germaphobe like some of you, but even I'm going, no, this is not going to work. This is what this boy has been sent to do. So he sends him to feed his pigs. And the young man becomes so hungry that the pods inside the slop that he's feeding to the pigs look good to him. You think about how hungry you got to be in order to think about raiding a pig's dinner dish. How many have ever been anywhere around where you smelled a pig? Is anybody here? You know what I'm talking about. I love eating them, but they stink to the high heavens. Pigs? Well, we even have a saying. Happy as a pig in mud. They love the filth. Now, they're more clean than we think they are. I understand that. But they still... They're in the mud. So he, re- he, no one gave him anything. They looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He's starving. He's working, but he's not even making enough to buy food. So scripture says when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Because I know how you treat your hired servants and it's way better than the pig pen. It's way better. Hired servants in my house when I grew up, knew that they were going to eat. Not what I'm facing here. I watched them eat. We made sure they were fed. There's justice in that house. There's righteousness in that. No, I, I got to get out of here. I got to go. I don't, I don't expect to be taken back as a son, but at least let me come be a hired servant. Let me just, just, just dwell inside of the environment and the influence of my father's house. So he returns home to his father. And while he is still a long ways off, his father sees him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. Please understand something. He probably hadn't bathed. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, that's authority, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost 
but now he is found. So the party begins. Meanwhile, the older son, the one that he split the treasure with, is in the fields working. When he returns home, he hears music and dancing in the house, and he asks one of the servants what's going on. Your brother's back, he said. Now remember, Jesus' audience is the Pharisees, who've just said, what are you doing hanging out with sinners? Why are you eating with them? Now he's telling a story about a dude that's been with pigs, being welcomed back by his father and is about to partake in a feast. You may have missed it, but I guarantee you the Pharisees didn't. Your brother's back, he's told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother got angry, and he wouldn't go in. So his father came out, and he begged him. He says, please, won't you come in? But the older brother says, all these years I've stayed with you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours... When this son of yours comes back, not my brother, this son of yours. You know, when Regina and I don't like something our children are doing, we have a tendency to say, your children. (laughs) And we mean it in a singular your, not a plural your. You all know what I'm talking about. They got that from you. (laughs) This son of yours. comes back after squandering all his money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing a fattened calf. His father says to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. There's something here that we may miss, and I just want to, for a brief moment, point this out. There's nothing in this story that says that the young man who wasted all of his wealth got a half of what was left. No, the father just welcomed him back and clothed him, put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and gave him a place to be. The reason I know this is because he says to the son, everything I have is yours. I split my my kingdom. I split my farm. I split whatever it is that he had. I gave half to your brother. The other half's yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. In each of these parables, what is crystal clear is that Jesus is telling the Pharisees that the one matters. Hundred sheep, one lost, go find the one. Ten coins, one lost, go find the one. Whole household and brothers, one lost. Welcome the one back. This year, having slowed down, having stopped, having hopefully learned to some degree how to pay attention, this year it is now time to pay attention to the lost. Pay attention to the one. Pay attention to the one who is lost and doesn't even know it. Mind that one. 
The coin has no way of knowing anything. It's lost and doesn't know it. There are marbles under my refrigerator right now. They have no clue they're under my refrigerator. There are people in this world that are made in the image and likeness of God that are walking around with no clue that life can be better. Absolutely no clue that that which gnaws at their heart, there's an answer to it, and his name is Jesus. Pay attention to that one. Because they're not going to be receptive to your advances. And they're not going to look at you and go, tell me how to be saved. Because they don't know that they're lost. They have no clue that they need something. They have no clue that they're missing something. They are the coin. But we still need to take the spirit that we've learned in the year of the Sabbath and stop and slow down and pay attention to the one who is lost. Mind the one. Pay attention to the one. The one who is lost and knows it, but has no clue what to do. The sheep knew it's lost. Guarantee you, it knew it was lost. It was not with the herd. It was not warm. It was not in the comfort zone. It was alone. It may have even been threatened by wild animals. It knew it was lost. And with all due respect, it was so ignorant. It was so lacking in understanding and knowledge that while it knew it was lost, it had no idea what to do. Pay attention to this one. Mind this one. Don't belittle them. Don't be frustrated by them. Pay attention to them. Mind the one. Pay attention to the one. The one who is lost knows it and knows exactly how to come home. The son was not at a loss about what had happened. Fully aware, fully cognizant, fully capable. Yet we see that not just the coin and the woman looking for it, and not just the sheep and the shepherd looking for it, but the son, the father, was paying attention. The father was living a life that he was able to stop what he was doing. Oh, I got it. Somebody in here has got to hear me. I'm being indicted as heavily as you are. He had the ability to stop on the drop of a dime when he saw his son far in the distance. This means he was paying attention. He was clued in he was looking for him because the moment he's caught sight of what is that him that looks like him when he saw him he then runs out and he meets him he's already got the servants queued up he's already got the robe coming the ring the shoes he is tuned in he's paying attention he's minding the one now please hear me don't try to save them you can't save them. Love them. 
This is part of the reason why it's comfortable to tuck our heads and go about our business is because when we face the coin or the sheep or the sun and we're overwhelmed by how lost they are and how much there is to do and you have no idea what to do, you don't have to know what to do. You just have to love them. You don't have to have the answers. You're not the Savior. Love them. Don't try to fix them. Be a friend to them. This is why Jesus got in trouble. He never validated the lifestyles of the publicans and the sinners. But he was a friend to them. They understood. People understand when you love them. Even if you disagree with their lifestyle, even if you will not participate in elements of their lifestyle, they like being around people who love them. They like being around people who aren't always trying to fix them, but are just there with them. You will not lose your holiness. You will not lose your godliness. You will not lose your sanctity when you hang around with sinners. Jesus didn't, and you won't. I understand that this is speaking more to the pastoral team, but we must resist the pressures that come from our peers who are running in fear that somehow we're leaving righteousness and true doctrine because we're hanging around with sinners. They did it to Jesus, and they'll do it to us. Ignore them and do what Jesus did. And I didn't say that was easy, but we're going to do it anyway. Go hide in the bush and see whether I'm leaving the truth. Go hide in the bushes and see if I'm going carnal. Go hide in the bushes and figure it out. But meanwhile, I'm going to pay attention to the lost. One by one. Stop feeling pressured. Take the gift of Sabbath and stop that push of work. I got to fix this. I got to, I got to do something about this. Stop and just be present. Be with them. I've got more, but have time for Nicodemus. One. Here, Bartimaeus. One, be aware so you can stop for Zacchaeus. One, mind the one. Stop and wait. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. I don't wait very well. Stop and wait for the Samaritan woman. One, answer the rich young man. And keep loving when he walks away. Don't stop loving just because somebody walks away. Yes, it hurts. Keep loving. Some of you have loved the world and you've reached out and somebody's walked away. Keep loving. There's somebody else. Keep loving. There's somebody else. Keep loving. There's somebody else. One. Be so tuned in that you can feel the touch on the hem of your garment of the bleeding woman. Mind the one. Stand up for the adulterous person. Yes, I said what I just said. Stand up for the adulterous person. 
Don't condemn them. Don't stand up for them. You don't have to agree with their lifestyle. Please understand something. It is a whole different ballgame for me to say that it is righteous or godly or God-planned for you to live as a homosexual. But you do not, because you are not living according to God's plan, you do not give away your rights to dignity, to love, to care, and to respect. And if anybody treats you wrong, I don't care about the political agenda. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I'm not worried about politics. I'm worried about people. I'm not worried about people's opinions. I'm worried about God's opinion. Stand up for the adulterous woman. And then in the quiet of that relationship, point to a better life. One. Be aware enough to feel the sadness of the woman of Nain who lost her son. She was a widow. Then do it the spirit direction. Who knows? Maybe this year, God will use you to raise another person from the dead. Now, if I tell you that's what's supposed to happen, now you feel pressure. I didn't tell you that's what's supposed to happen. I told you, be present enough, be stopped enough, be sensitive enough. Mind the one enough that if God wants to, he can. We don't raise people from the dead. If a dead person's coming back to life, it's going to be because God did it. But the only chance for it to happen is if you're slowed down enough to realize there's a funeral. Somebody's really hurting. And I don't have to fix it. And I don't have to know what to say. I just need to approach. Stop for the children. I know they're a pain. They suck the life out of people. They're so needy and bossy. And the older they grow, the more independent they become, and therefore a nuisance. I get it. Jesus, stop for children. Mind the one. Touch the sick even when only one comes back. Go to the demon-possessed, the one demon-possessed, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Please hear me today. You have no need to be afraid of devils. You have no need to be afraid of devils. If you've slowed down enough, you'll know they're there because the spirit in you will be able to tell you You don't need to do hocus pocus. You don't need to be all worked up and you don't need to make it about yourself. Silence them, ignore them, and minister to the person. You do not need to be afraid of devils. Listen to the Syrophoenician woman, even when you don't like her. And pray for her daughter's healing. Mind the one. Church, You and I are the light of the world. You and I are the salt of the earth. The Savior they need 
is in you. Every one of you that is filled with the Holy Spirit, every one of you that has received that Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, understand Almighty God is living inside of you. They are looking, whether they know it or not, for Him, not you. You don't need all the answers, but you've got to be present. You don't have to fix everything, but you've got to be present. You've got to be tuned in enough that God can work through you. The Savior they need is in you. The Savior they need is in you. They don't need you to be the Savior. The Savior they need is in you. He knows how to save. He knows how to operate. If you'll just get in proximity. Mind the one. If you're new with us, maybe some of this is, you're struggling to follow it. And so let me put it to you really simple for you. Worship God. It's real simple. As you've joined, worship him in music. Worship him in giving. Worship him in prayer. Worship him in your lifestyle. Worship him in your dress. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship God. It's that simple. Worship God. Just Choose to worship him. As you walk with him, as you engage in relationship, worship God. Learn. If you're looking for a church that's all worship and no learn, you've got to find another church. As I heard recently, go serve Jesus someplace else. It's not going to work here. If you like to learn, this is a place to be. We're going to worship him, but we're going to learn. Because we believe that learning feeds our worship. We believe that learning feeds our relationship. We believe that learning feeds our transformation. And oh, I need to be transformed. Anybody here this morning need some transformation? I need to be transformed. I need to be made into a new creature. I need old things to pass away, and I need all things to become new. So learn. Learn in our worship services. Learn in discipleship classes. Learn in small groups. Learn in big group learning. You heard it referenced this morning. I didn't even know they were going to do it, which I have no idea about build a car, so don't ask me. Was that your idea? Where'd Lil go? Was that your idea? Oh, Lordy, it's the two idea people. Best of luck, congregation. I have no idea where we're going, but if you're interested in finding out, go see Lil. Build a car. You'll learn something, I promise. Have your children learn in kids' Bible night. Have them learn in Bible quizzing. Learn. Learn about this God who is your Savior. Don't learn about us. Learn about the God who is your Savior. Yes, we may be the one walking with you, and we may be the voice speaking, and we may be the conduit, but it is not about us. It is about the God who is your Savior. Learn, because the more you learn about him, the more that you then can hear his voice. Serve. Anybody catching a theme here? You probably saw it on a poster as you walked in. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. If you're new here, this is real simple. It's one, two, three, and there's actually a fourth one. Serve God by serving your fellow human being. Serve within the church. Serve within the community. The thing that we haven't done so well around here that Sabbath has made evidently apparent, and so I return to all of us, is we need to play a little bit more. In fact, we need to play a lot more. I apologize. I am the son of workaholic parents, and I border 
on workaholic myself. That's why I know so much about rest. Because I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But what that means is, is I really enjoy working. You know what? Some of you do too. You need to play more. You need to go out and buy some board games. You need to go have date nights. You know, you, your small groups, you meet twice a month. What are you doing the rest of the time? Oh, you were thinking I was organizing all the play? No, that's not how this works. Because if you haven't caught the drift yet, this is about the church being the church. This isn't about the pastor being the church and then the church following. No, this is about the church being the church. We're the ones who are pausing. We're the ones tuned in to the lost. We're the ones pausing for the lost. Because in the midst of your play, guess what? Some people are going to want to come to your play. They're not going to come to your worship. They're not going to come to your learn. They're not going to come serve. But if you got a game going, can I come? Put some hot dogs and hamburgers with it, and they're probably going to show up. So we, 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 we unofficially, we're, we're working on, but unofficially, we need to play. We need to rejoice in the fact that we have friends and community. We need to participate in this community that is ours. We need to create this community that is ours. God loves to party. Go read the Old Testament and the New Testament. You'll find God loves to party. They called him a wine-bibber, people. I'm not telling you go out and get drunk. That's not what I'm saying. But they called him a wine-bibber. There's no way to get ever accused of being a wine-bibber if you didn't party. I know you're all flipping out about the word party, and I'm not telling you to go out and get drunk, and I'm not telling you to go out and be licentious, and I'm not telling you to go back to the old lifestyle, but there is everything the devil ever makes dirty and nasty he took from God. God is a God who likes to have fun. He enjoys partying. He is a one who likes to play. Go play. He's witty. He's funny. Even when I don't get his funny. He's a Hebrew. Their puns are stupid. Most of you don't know they're stupid because you don't know they're there because they don't come across into English. But it's like, it's, it's, it's the Hebrew version of Roy Moss. He takes such delight when he gets to do a pun. He's like, yeah. There's something wrong with the man. That's the God we serve. He takes such great delight when he's able to make a word play. He takes such great delight when he does something funny. I don't like his humor. But my point this morning is not that I like his humor. My point is, is that he plays. So you got to help me play. I don't play well, okay? Unless you get me at a Monopoly board. But then I don't play well for another reason. But that's a whole other ball game. We need to play. You can't play if you don't slow down. Are you really going to wish you had more time to work when you die? Or are you going to wish you had more time to play? Does a bucket list ever have work on it? 
No! Bucket lists are experiences. Bucket lists are people. Bucket lists are going places and doing things. They're not work. I like to eat, so I'm going to keep working. You don't have to take my paycheck away. I'm not sure I'm supposed to work quite, quite the way that I have a tendency to. And some of you learned that in the year of the Sabbath. If we really are to come to the kingdom as a child, then it seems to me, what's the first thing a kid starts doing? Who's seen a two-year-old? It's learned how to walk. Come down the stairs. Bow tie. Suit coat. All right, Mom, what's the job today? It's ludicrous, isn't it? That's not what a kid does. When that kid comes down the stairs, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready for the day, what are they ready for? Play. They even learn how to speak languages while they play. They even learn how to do things that are useful while they play. In fact, most of the things that they learn, they learn while they play. I knew this, so Regina and I spent the first few years of my children's life being homeschooled, making them think that they were not being schooled. They were simply playing. They didn't know it, but they were actually learning a whole lot because we filled their environment with things that they could play with. And while they played with them, they learned. Church, we're going to learn about one another when we play. We're going to create community when we play. we got to play. And I don't know how to play, so help me play this year. So don't be looking at me and say, well, I don't know how to play. Let's just fumble our way into it. The first thing we do is we learn the lesson that we learned from Sabbath. Stop. Work and then stop. Work and then stop. In 2020, church, and I'm closing. Regina, if you'd come. Continue to live the Sabbath lifestyle. What is the Sabbath lifestyle? An understanding and a realization that there's a time to work. And then there's a time to stop. There's a time to work. I'm not taking away from working. Then there's a time to stop. And in that space of stopping, in that silence, in that cessation of movement, in that uncomfortable space, pay attention to the one. Have time for the one. Be the one for the lost. Whether they are lost and don't know it, whether they are lost and they know it, but they don't know what to do, or whether they're lost and they know it and they know exactly what to do, be the one for them. So a simple question. So the year of the Sabbath is over. What now? What now is keep stopping.
Why? Because in a place of rest, you can be the one. You don't find Jesus ever hurrying. You talk about somebody with a big agenda. You talk about somebody with a big responsibility. His job description? Save the world. He even got ahead of himself as a 12-year-old little boy. And he went to the temple and he starts teaching and he starts going. And his parents come in and go, boy, what are you doing? And the scriptures tell us that he stopped. And he went home. And he submitted. And he grew and he matured. And he didn't touch his job description for 30 years. I think you can work for 8 or 10 hours in a day and then stop. Because last time I checked, you and I aren't saving the world. And if we think we are, that's why we're not saving anybody. Because we're so overwhelmed by it that we won't take care of the one. The one. Well, where's this one? If you start looking, you will find them. Because God is already drawing them. Hear me, Newark UPC. If you will stop. And start looking, not under pressure, not pushing yourself, not production, not all that stuff. No, stop. And in the quiet and in the silence and in the peace, just start looking. Allow your night to be interrupted by a Nicodemus. Allow your journey to be paused by a Zacchaeus. Allow your robe to be tugged on by a bleeding woman. Allow your reputation to be attacked because the woman at the well matters. Now, I'm not Jesus, so please understand there will be two of us sitting at the well. Everybody hear me. You will not have one-on-one meetings with me. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. There'll be two of us. I got a team, and they're going to work with me. There'll be two of us sitting at the well. But we'll sit with anybody. We'll talk about anything. We'll be your friend. We're not going to try to fix you, and we're not going to try to save you. You say, well, what about the gospel? Oh, it'll come out because I'm saved by the gospel. Well, what about the Holy Ghost? Oh, it's going to come out. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. What about baptism in Jesus' name, which we're about to do in just a moment. So get ready, guys. We're about to send you back and get your robes on. Oh, it'll come out. I serve Jesus. His name is on me. I can't go anywhere and do anything without the name of Jesus upon me. you gotta, you got to understand, the gospel will come out, but it'll flow out of me just automatically. It's not going to flow out of me because I'm forcing it. It's not going to flow out of me because I'm trying to produce it. It's going to flow out of me because I am the church. I am the light of the world. I am the salt of the earth. If I'll pause long enough, if I'll stop long enough to mind the one, the one demoniac, the one dead boy, the one leper, the one adulteress, 
the one. I hope, church, and I know I've gone along this morning. I hope that you are not walking out of here with pressure. If you are, you misunderstood me. Go be very intentional with your days. Go be very intentional with your weeks. Go be very intentional with your months. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the peace that passeth all understanding, in the midst of the provision that will blow your minds, in the midst of the leading and guiding of His Spirit, be looking. Look for the coin that doesn't know they're lost. Look for the sheep that knows they're lost but doesn't know what to do. And be even looking for the prodigal who they know how to come home. But you never know the moment that they're going to crest the horizon And in that moment, they may not be sure. They may be doubting. But if they look and they see you, they will have the courage to take those steps back home. But if we're so busy in the field, We've got to pause. We've got to hold on to this. Some of you are wondering, is the Sabbath going away? No, it's really not. We just had to overcorrect a little bit for a year in order to shift the mode. Because Jesus saves the world one person at a time. He doesn't mass fill people with the Holy Ghost. He fills them each, individually, one at a time. He doesn't mass baptize them. They'll go down in the waters, one at a time. He doesn't transform them in mass. One by one, uniquely, particular to them, He transforms them. How do we find the lost? One at a time. One at a time. I don't have a slick title for you this year. Sorry. You know, Year of the Plum Line is pretty cool. Chase the Line. That was the stupidest sermon I ever preached because, man, we've been chasing lions ever since. But anyway, watch what you say. Year of the Sabbath. I don't have a, I, I, I've thought my best attempt is that. Mind the one. But you're not going to be able to do that if you don't continue in a lifestyle. Sabbath. Would you stand? I know they're preparing to be baptized. But could we fill these altars when they're ready to